May God add his blessing to the reading of the scripture this morning, and may the words from my mouth be just what we all need to hear today. Now, most of you probably already know this, but this is going to be a very exciting week for our family. This is going to be a very emotional week for our family. Uh, we are going to, tomorrow afternoon at 1.30, we go to the courthouse downtown in Ottawa for our final court date, and the adoption will be final, and Caden and Camry will be officially, legally, our children. So we're thrilled about that. Some of us, uh, it's, it's interesting how many times God works things out. I couldn't believe my eyes when I began to look at the lectionary for this week, which I don't always follow, but I have been recently following. And the epistle reading this week concerned adoption. I think that's kind of, it was, it was, it was a God moment for me, a, a Holy Spirit moment, if you will, to think that on the very same week, it was a scripture that was suggested. And so I chose the epistle, of course, this week. Some of us have been adopted, myself included. For some people, it's been a difficult experience. It's been difficult for some for the child, some for the parents. But for most, adoption has been a life-changing, wonderful experience. One family, the Carters, adopted 11-year-old Jeremy. It was an exciting day for all of them. Since he was abandoned as an infant, Jeremy had grown up in a bunch of foster homes. The only times he ever saw his birth mother were the three times that she came to court to try to, to the hearings to try to keep him from being adopted. And then finally, after 11 years, after 11 years, the judge freed Jeremy for adoption. Well, Rachel Carter was the lady that adopted Jeremy. Rachel had been Jeremy's fourth grade teacher. She had three little girls of her own. Her heart had gone out to this sad little boy when he came for the first day of fourth grade, came to class, and she says that it broke her heart when she had the children introduce themselves, and Jeremy stood up and said, I'm Jeremy, and I don't have a family. I never will, because I'm too old, and nobody wants me. At the end of sixth grade, the adoption was final. Jeremy had a family. The next year, Jeremy proudly walked into his principal's office, walked up to his desk and said, when school started last year, I was nobody. Now I'm a Carter. Paul wanted a way to describe his church. He wanted to describe to the church at Ephesus what it meant to belong to God through Christ. And so Paul chose the word adoption. He says that we have been adopted by God. Now we are God's own children. 
A first grade class was looking at a picture of a family and discussing it. And one little boy in the picture had a different colored skin than the other kids. And the teacher said, why do you think that might be? And one kid said, well, maybe he's adopted. And a little girl named Jocelyn said, yeah, I know all about adoptions because I'm adopted myself. The kid that asked the first question said, what does it mean to be adopted? Her answer was, it means that you grew in your mommy's heart instead of in her tummy. You and I grew and I think continue to grow in God's heart. It's a great way to say it. God has chosen us to be his own children. Paul uses the word adoption five times in his writings. You don't find the word in the Old Testament. You don't find it in any of the Gospels. It was not a Jewish word, that's why. Adoption was a Roman thing. Remember that Paul was a Roman. He was quite comfortable with the idea of adoption. He knew what it was about. In the Roman world, adoption, much like in our society, was a legal proceeding where a parent took in a child who was not their biological child and made them legally theirs. The purpose of adoption in those days usually was to give the parents a heir, a legal heir. The adopted child was treated as and had all the privileges of a biological child. Just a little sidebar here. Most of you know I have three much older kids. <laughs> and I said to my oldest son, well, I guess this means uh, Cameron and Caden get a share part of the family fortune. <laughs> and my oldest son said, oh, thank God, keep adopting them because we can just keep splitting those bills <laughs> so they'll get smaller and smaller. <laughs> but that, that's the case. After tomorrow afternoon, you too will get our bills after we die. Isn't that great? <laughs> I'm getting some looks like, hmm. Don't have any second thoughts, okay? We'll talk later. <laughs> There's a good illustration in the movie, The Robe. There's a character named Lucia who tells about a ceremony which was held for her older brother where he was acknowledged publicly as the son of his father. And as they all gather, his name is Marcellus, and as they all gather to see Marcellus step forward to receive the white toga of sonship, his father and a friend, a good friend, Cornelius, make speeches. Then they place the toga on Marcellus's shoulders. Well, Sister Lucia is so proud and so happy that she is just beside herself with joy. But she's only nine, and she knows that Marcellus is much older and must act like a man now. Marcellus's father makes a speech, welcomes him into the family, his eyes are filled with tears. Then Cornelius makes a patriotic speech and reminds Marcellus that 
Mother Rome deserves Marcellus's finest loyalty and commitment and to be a good citizen. And with the ceremony and the placing of the white toga on Marcellus's shoulders, he is publicly acknowledged as a son. That's what Paul says God has done for us through Jesus. He's clothed us with a white robe and adopted us as God's own son or daughter, that we will inherit all the blessings of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty incredible to me, to think that God would do that for me. Paul was an amazing man. Nothing ever seemed to get him down. He was writing this letter from prison. There were chains on his feet, I'm sure, on his hands, but not on his heart. He had been cut off from his friends and his family. This was his last trip to prison. He may or may not have known that, but there would be no more trips to churches to visit, no more starting new churches. That was all over. Yet listen to his words in this terrible circumstance that he was in. Praise be to God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He chose us before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ. Does that sound like a guy who's sitting in prison feeling sorry for himself? Nope. If I were suffering in a Roman jail, I doubt that I'd be thinking of myself as adopted or as God's own child. Paul was a positive thinker. And why shouldn't he be? He had met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. His life had been changed. His heart had been filled with hate and anger and fear. And then he met Jesus. And now it was filled with love and joy and faith. His arms and his legs might be in chains, but not his heart, not his mind, not his spirit. Jesus had set him free. Some people can really relate to that. I remember years ago, a long time ago as a young man, I went to a place in Chicago called Pacific Garden Mission, a wonderful place. And I heard this young man, and as I recall, I think his name was Mike. I'm pretty sure it was Mike. And he told this story about how he was sitting in his little apartment, high on crack cocaine. A knock came on the door, open up, this is the police. Well, he ran into the bathroom and he flushed the crack cocaine down the toilet. The police broke in came into his house and tore it apart looking for drugs and jostled him around and beat him up a little bit, but he was lucky. They didn't take him to jail that day because they couldn't find any drugs. But while all this was going on, he said one thought crossed his mind. He thought they were going to kill him because they were really beating him up pretty badly. 
And his thought was, who would care? Who would care? This worthless drug addict in his apartment dies. So what? Well, after the police left, no arrest, he sat in his chair, shaking. He decided that it was time for a change. And so he walked down to Pacific Garden Mission, and he found a counselor there and asked for, to see a minister. And he got a chaplain, and he asked that chaplain to help him change his life and to help him connect to God. Well, then Mike signed on for a drug rehabilitation program. It didn't take him long to detox, but it took him a long time to break his addiction, but he finally did it. But only with God's help and with the encouragement of the good people who were around him. It's a true story. At the time that uh, Mike spoke to that group, it was a long time ago, it was probably 40 years ago. He was training to going to school in Chicago to become a pastor. God had changed his life. Paul would have understood that young man's situation. Paul had made a total and complete change in his own life because he met Jesus. Once he was an angry young man, he was so energetic and zealous about the way that he'd been brought up that he persecuted his fellow Jews when they became Christians. He even helped when the first martyr, Stephen, was stoned. Paul had a part in it. But now he was a new person. His heart had experienced such a radical change that not only did he reach out to his fellow Jews, but he reached out to those Gentiles, those other people. The people that he'd been brought up hating. By the way, do you know how Paul, why Paul changed his name from Paul to Saul, or from Saul to Paul? It's a question that I'd, I'd wondered about, but not enough to research it. I guess. Well, I did that this week. I found out that it wasn't because of anything that happened on his conversion to uh, on his way down the Damascus Road. It wasn't, when, when I read the story, I just thought God said, okay, you're not Saul anymore, you're Paul now. You know? And that was his name. But that's not the way it worked. Saul had been a Pharisee, and he was a Pharisee's Pharisee. He was a religious big shot. Okay? A fair, the word Pharisee means set apart, different. Pharisees were obsessed with staying pure, staying away from those Gentiles. And they despised the Gentiles. So, after his conversion, Paul became so connected with those people because he was the minister to the Gentiles in that day. He became, he loved those people so much that he decided that he was not going to use his Jewish name anymore but that he was going to use the Gentile version of his name. And that was Paul. Now, as Paul Harvey used to say, you know the rest of the story. 
Paul no longer called himself Saul because he now loved the people that he used to hate. And the change in his life was complete. He could talk about God's glorious grace because he'd experienced, experienced it himself. There's a fable about a frog, a lady frog who begged a genie to turn her into a princess. The genie clicked his fingers, and immediately the frog was changed into a beautiful princess. The princess was thrilled. She was treated loyally and royally, but she couldn't find a prince, and so she said, hey, why don't you go with me, genie, to a fancy restaurant? And so they did. They went out to eat, but she couldn't find anything on the menu that sounded good. And she asked the genie if she could just order her favorite dish. And he said, yeah, order whatever you want. Get, get your favorite dish. And so she said to the waiter, great, I'll have a plate of flies. That princess may have been a beautiful young woman on the outside, but on the inside, she was still a frog. Paul was not a frog. Paul was not a pretender. He was real. So he could write about the glories that wait for us who are adopted by the Father. And he could write, praise be to God. He chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined us to be adopted as his children. In 1981, Jimmy Gibson made a decision to follow Christ. That might not sound like a big deal, but at the time he made this commitment, he was an inmate at McGilligan Prison in Ireland. He was a Protestant terrorist, and he had made a career of killing Catholics in terrorist attacks. And he knew that this new life would mean giving up his hatred of Catholic people. And so one evening at dinner, he went and he sat down in the mess hall at a table full of Catholic inmates. Now that's asking for trouble. Jimmy sat down next to Liam McCloskey and he said, Brother, I want to talk to you. The mess hall became silent and Jimmy talked to Liam about his faith. A bridge was built because Liam was touched. And these two who had been enemies became friends and they even called each other brother. That's the gospel. People who cannot find hope, find it in Christ. People who feel unloved, undeserved, undeserving, discover that who they are, children of God, heirs of eternal life. It doesn't matter what we've done, how often we've failed, how great of a disappointment our lives might be, God loves us and made a way. In Reader's Digest, I read a story about Ruby and Arnie who adopted a baby boy after five years of trying to conceive. And as sometimes happens, right after the adoption, Ruby got pregnant and she had a boy. And one day when the two boys were together with her in a public place, they were eight and nine years old at the time, she ran into a woman in the neighborhood that knew her. This woman said to her, which one of these boys is yours, Ruby? She said, both of them. No, I mean, which one is adopted? Ruby didn't hesitate. She looked her right in the eye and she said, I don't know, 
I forgot. Craig Larson writes these words. When we are adopted as God's children, we quickly come to cherish God's forgiveness, God's forgetfulness. Aren't you glad God's forgetful? God chooses to forget our sins, to forget our past, and to give us the full rights of sons and of daughters. He treats us as if we never sinned. I think that's amazing. God has adopted you and me as his sons and daughters. We are now heirs to eternal life. Everything that he has, he will share with us one day in glory. What does adoption mean? It means it's as if you were his biological kid. Amen.